the use of Favreau, more actually on kind of the, actually the overall evolution of our studio from just kind of the three of us, you know, being idiots, but making it work basically to now running a studio and being far more calm about also, it. Still being idiots. <laughs> still idiots, but in a different kind of <laughs> Just um, less idiotic. But in a much larger capacity. <laughs> Scotch. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 354 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I'm just standing here. I'm Sam and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's March 10th. 2020 U. Before we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. Uh, so if you have children around, shoo them away. Uh, I believe in the room or something. And then shoo them back of. and say, mm. here, listen, it's time that you learn about what it's like in the real world. Gather around the fucking podcast, children. Gather around the fucking yeah. podcast. Yeah. Uh, it's time you learn how people talk and it, it's a little bit weird that we're pretending that they don't talk like that, uh, but they do. All of them do. Uh, every 100% of them do. Yep. Uh, so now you'll know. Let's thank our uh, supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. If you'd like to uh, donate to the podcast, you can head on over there and uh, we'll grab your money. You can uh, leave us a message with a single donation or you can become a recurring supporter as well. Uh, so thank you very much for those who have done that. Now let's talk about what's going on in the world. And as far as I, I've been checking the news, it's been, it's been pretty quiet, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. except for, except for, uh, Elden Ring, I think it's just like, that's the only thing that has happened. Um, you know, I'm in, trying to keep, just keep my blinders on. That's it's the world. head in the sand. Yep. That's the technique. There's video games down in there in the yep. sand. Hole. <laughs> uh, only, there's only one in there right now, though. It's just Elden Ring. It's the only yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, so, Sam, you be, I haven't played it. I don't think Adam has. It's not my kind of thing, but I've seen lots of little clips of people playing it. Yeah. So let's let's hear the let's hear the Sam. Well, first of all, nail whiff uh, spectrum. Did it nail it or did it's, it whiff? It's a nail for certain. It nailed it. Uh, yeah, okay. And as a, as a reminder about the nail whiff spectrum, if you're a new yeah. listener to the podcast, uh, the question is not, do you like it or do you think it's good? The question is, did it did accomplish it? what it set out to do? Did it nail it or did it whiff it? Because that's what actually matters. Because then the question for other people is, do I care like about that the thing, thing that it tried to do? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so they nailed it. What did Elden Ring try to do? That's basically, yeah. that's the question yep. here. What they tried to do was take the recipe from a game like Dark Souls, it's the same company that made the Dark Souls mm-hmm. series, which for those who haven't played those, uh, myself actually more or less on the list, I played the third one for about like four or five hours last year sometime. Hmm. And I was like, this is kind of fun, but then I didn't really care. And that was it. So they basically <laughs> tried to take that formula and I would say move it from a linear experience where you're basically going through particular levels in a very particular way. And if you can't get past something, well, go fuck yourself. You got to get better at it. And that's sort of the situation. To yeah. Well, because if you can't get past something, then you're just stuck now, right? Yes. In the old, in the old model. Yes. Yeah. And then to sort of move it into an open world environment, which interestingly unclogs a certain amount of that pressure on the player, despite the game, despite the fact the game is still very, very hard. You will die hmm. just all the time. Um, but because you can just kind of leave wherever you just died and go do some other stuff for a while, 
then there's always this sense that like, oh, well, I mean, I'm just engaging with this because because I want to. So I could just- Right. It's it not that you way. have to go get past that. It's not yes. that you're blocked, which is- If the, you're having a bad time, yeah. you only have yourself to blame. Because yeah, yeah, games that are hard, <laughs> the blocker for me, the reason I always end up quitting is because I just have to try one thing over Repeat and it. over and yes. over. And if I can't get it, I don't have anything else to do. And I don't want to do that again. Yeah. At the moment, I just want to take a break and then come back to it later. But if I take a break, it has to be from the game, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. 100%. So- Basically, what they do then is, I think, the game is a format, this kind of souls, as they call it, souls-like, which is basically a game where, uh, I guess the short version of it is, everything you do can also be used against you, uh, in the sense that if you want to drink a potion in one of these games, it's not just you click a button and you're healed now. Your character slowly whips a flask out, chugs it, and during this whole time, your walk speed now is reduced, you're doing this anime, you can't do shit, yeah, and I mean, have you ever tried to like drink a bottle of water while you're jogging? It's just, not going to work. You, it, you're going to splash it all over your yeah. head. It's you know? so basically what ends up happening is you really have to learn all of the timings, actually, of the animations that are required to do things like attack something or get your shield up in time or drink a damn potion so you don't get crushed by an incoming enemy. So yeah, that level of difficulty basically it's, a, it's sort of like a technical finesse thing that's required. Um, but I, I've been having a very good time with it. It's one of those things where like you, the first probably two or three hours that I was playing with, you know, you're getting just totally wrecked by standard enemies who aren't really doing too, I mean, everybody, every enemy does a lot, I guess is the short version of it. Every thing you encounter can murder you just without fail. Even if you, as you start getting more powerful, if you're not paying attention, like it'll just dangerous place. Yeah. It's a dangerous place. But I think what I found uh, very fun about it is I would say is I, I, yeah, I think I would classify the game as a rare game that is constantly surprising hmm. in the sense that there are things you find both out in the world where you're like, didn't expect that that, that that would even exist. And I'm not even just talking like because it's a crazy boss fight, but like that that is a possible thing that could have even happened in the context mm-hmm. of this game space. And then they pair that sort of like sort of weird interesting content and stuff like that with what is clearly a hilarious uh, sort of relationship between the designers of the game and the player base where the designers are essentially trolling players just the whole time. And that's actually, it's kind of like an escape room designer. It's basically an escape room. Yeah. 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 And so it's like, you'll go. They know what you're going to, they know what you're going to do. They know what you're going to try to latch onto to save yourself or whatever. That event, what was that? Trap Trap adventure. adventure. It's like, (laughs) it's exactly like trap adventure. It's an open world trap adventure where essentially you see, so say you walk into a, into like a little cave area and there's like a bright light off to the left. What's the person going to do? Look over there, go over there. What's going to happen? Some freaking monster is going to come from the behind or from the ceiling. And so <laughs> it's just this hilarious level of like, I've, I've bust out laughing actually far more times playing this game than I, it's not a funny game in the sense of like, there's no right. humor in it. But it's just the surprise. But yeah, the surprise and, is constant, just ridiculous. And, and the like, I see what you did there. Yes. Like, that's kind of, because yeah, that was the thing for me and I actually watch people make level head levels that had yep. like the trap yep. adventure vibe. Uh, Sam, Sam, I think, has one in the campaign, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And There's and those are because those are the same deal. They're so funny because, like, the fact that that what you were going to do was predicted by somebody, right? There's yep. something about that, and that they then purposely fucked with you. Yep. In that moment, 
there's just something about that that is really <laughs> hilarious. It's uh, absolutely. And I don't know why. Like, it should be a lot more frustrating and anger-inducing than it is. But for some think, reason, it's hilarious. I think it just sort of tickles you in a way because it's like someone knows you. So it feels very, it's a very uh, sincere and personal attack, but it's absolutely hilarious because they know you, like they know exactly what you're going to do. Well, mm-hmm. what, what I think is, the, is really interesting about this is I think it's a really great expression of, it, it kind of exposes how little control we actually have over the decisions we make, mm-hmm. you know? Where like so much of what you do is actually structurally informed by the stuff that's happening around you. And a game like this really just kind of brings that that fact to the forefront with it where when you walked into the room, just because of the way that the room is set up, yep. the designers have made you make a decision. The mm-hmm. decision's already been made, even though you technically could turn right, turn left, go forward, turn around and just leave, mm-hmm. right? The designers have made you decide we know to go good. left. Yep. Well, and it's so fun did you really circular, decide? You know? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a fun circular sort of design strategy, right? Because one, one, one approach you can take to design is saying, here's what I want the person to do. And then you try to constrain things to cause that to happen, or you just design it so that that's like the most- That's the only thing. That's the thing that makes the most sense and feels like it makes the yeah. most sense. And then there's the strategy where you say, okay, at this point, now, like I've made it this far in my design, what is the person going to want to do? What are they, they going to feel mm-hmm. like is like the right move here? And then now, now what, what do, do I do with that fact? That? Yeah. What do I do with the yeah. fact that this is what the player or the user would do, right? Yeah. Well, this, and this you can is use that I to troll people, yes, but you can also use that to make designs that feel very, that where the player's making almost no decisions, right? But, but they, they still feel, feel like clever. they are. Yeah. 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 The, the, I think the most, like the funniest thing is that most enemies end up showing up on, like they can attach to walls up above. And like the most recent one, I went into a place Creepy. where there's these spooky hands and I just saw little ones. So I was like, whatever. It's like a, it's like a spider. Like who cares, you know? Um, and then there's this shiny glowy thing on the ground, like a, like a pickup little piece of treasure. And so I just go walking over there and a giant hand, I didn't notice that there's little fingertips poking out of the ground from below this fucking thing. It's like, go stepping on to try to pick up the treasure. This giant hand just gets out and just fucking kills me. <laughs> right. And I was like, you. Well, it's the, it's you. the part where it feels like, because now in retrospect, you see, they gave you all the clues you needed. Yeah, the hits are right there. Yeah, but but you, yeah, you were fixated on the shiny. Yeah, yeah. But, if like, but if you didn't see the hand, then it's still like, in the, in the context of this game, like still would have been fun and fine. But in other contexts where that wasn't the overarching, like, yeah. kind of vibe, you know? then the difference between showing the fingertips and not would be the difference between the player feeling like you treated them unfairly exactly versus yeah. did something interesting that was a surprise that even yeah. if it like was frustrating in the moment because it was a, it was a surprise they can now look at it and be like oh i just didn't i didn't see that yes so, yeah, right. so well, this is this is where I, I hate the idea of invisible wall game design right because this cuz to me there's like there's two ways you can think about this one is you have a scenario like somebody walks into this cave and there's like maybe there's like a, a treasure chest there. There's like a glowing thing, you know, and there's also clues about like potential consequences of what the player's going to do, right? But then you allow the player to explore the space and kind of do whatever they want. And some of the things that the player does will have undesirable consequences, but that's just part of learning about the, the game world, right? But there's another approach that, that some... Uh, designers will make, which is the invisible wall approach, where they say like, okay, here's this chest. I want the player to open that chest. 
So I'm going to do things to make it so that that's literally the only path the the player can take. Well, I th- this is, I think, what's so interesting about the design of this game because they don't give a shit if you pick up even the required items for like being able to do foundational stuff mechanically in the game. Yeah, because yeah, you're going to be like, damn, I didn't do probably should have yeah. picked that up back when I saw that thing. Well, I mean, they, no, but they don't even tell you where it's at. Like you, yeah, you, they don't even care if you saw it. Right? They don't care if you yeah. saw it. They just don't care. And so it has this hilarious like. It actually, it felt more like my experience playing Terraria, where it was like, I just, I think the reason I was getting frustrated early on is because it's hard to know how to approach a game like that, right? Um, yeah. Because you're, so, you're just like in a world, like you're literally in a world. It's not yeah. for you, actually, right? Like, exactly. Yes. There's stuff out there. You. You're out there. And you have to go learn the world, but the world isn't for you. It just doesn't care. Um, and in fact, oftentimes it's downright hostile about the situation. And so, yeah, I think one of my, the other like kind of favorite surprises so far, there are two of them. So one is that um, you can summon people into your world to do like little uh, chunks of dungeons, right? You can't talk. You just like, mm-hmm. you can just use gestures and stuff. Um, so I summoned these two people. I've been waiting a while to try to do this uh, big part of this castle dungeon thing. And then um, was just kind of like being an idiot rolling around, you know, and everyone's kind of rolling around being stupid. And then I actually just like rolled off a fucking cliff. <laughs> so it, it takes like a while <laughs> to like find people and summon them in and stuff. And then I just like literally at the place we summoned just leapt backward off a cliff essentially. And I was, and I just, again, bust out laughing because the control, they, uh-huh. don't, care, they don't care about your control. Yeah, but honestly, stuff. like in my experience, like playing online games, uh, those things are always the things that generate stories, oh, right? Yeah. Where like you're running around with some buddies and then there's like some kind of a cliff or some kind of a trap or something and your friend either doesn't know about it and they wander into it and it's hilarious mm-hmm. or they do know about it, but they make a misstep and like do just some die. kind of crazy, crazy juke move or something and just fling themselves to their doom. Yep. <laughs> and it's amazing, right? But like, yeah, but if you take the you know the the lazy path as a designer, you're like, oh, I don't want people to be able to fall off this cliff because otherwise I would have to figure out how to like get their body back or yeah, whatever. Handle right? the then you just like yeah, just like put an invisible wall there, um, and now there's no stories. Nothing yeah. interesting is ever going to happen when people go there, and people can't learn from it either because there's nothing to do. Yeah. Right. So I think it's like so, as far as a, a systemic and open and systemic design piece uh it's to me it's very, it's actually been very inspirational to play through uh, on the crashes 2 side not because i want to make crashes 2 so hard but because of the that constant sense of surprises that just keeps on showing up uh and in, mm-hmm. in places where you just like what and even again even in singular combat encounters where you think you've seen all the moves of someone an enemy you've seen maybe a dozen times or something and then they just do something totally different um and it's a, it's a slight spoiler as far as like the second boss you fight in the game but this like blew my mind. And you're, an Elden Ring. An Elden Ring, you yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're fighting this, you're fighting this insane sort of like a human with a bunch of extra arms. He's called Godric the Grafted. Basically, he's stolen a bunch of people's arms. And so he's got like tons of arms and he's just covered in knives and just like all sorts. He just is insane. And you get this guy like half health, and it's a whole ordeal getting him to that point. He gets mad. There's like a brief cutscene, cuts off one of his arms. Like his like a main kind of trunky trunk arm that has a bunch of other arms on it. There's a dead dragon that's like sort of been hanging on the wall next to him. He shoves his hand into the dragon head. It rips the dragon head off, and now he has an animated fire breathing dragon for an <laughs> art. <laughs> and he starts 
using it like a fucking flamethrower, launching mortars. And she, and I, I was, I did not see this coming, and it was just, I was just like, <laughs> as soon as I saw him cut off his arm, and then look at the, because he like you see this dragon earlier, and he look over the dragon, I was like, no. No, no, no. Yeah, what, what's he going to do? Well, my thinking is, like, is he is it a, the dragon actually awake and he's going to, like, feed the arm to the dragon to wake it up or something and now you're fighting it too? But this was fu- this this new scenario is definitely something I wouldn't have yes. anticipated. So I guess, <laughs> yeah. like, take that idea and it's just sort of like that's actually what the experience of playing the game is, which is like it is – it's full of comedy because of – the sheer volume because of, of the strange surprise. surprises and things. Well, I think the other aspect that. of the of the design of this is that you can you could have a pretty small number of like th- this was a lot of mechanics because like they, like every yes, thing is completely different, right? Yeah. But you can still get a lot of that even with a small number of mechanics that can just be kind of recombined in surprising mm-hmm. ways. Um, but I think also their use of the environment here, where yes. you see a thing in the environment that's like a new that's a new thing. So like this dragon corpse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that somebody uses it once, you see somebody like go now yep. use that as part of the world, makes it so that forever after that, every time you see any deviation from just like normal terrain, right? Mm-hmm. Then now you're starting to in your brain yeah. oh, guess no. like what what could happen with this? Like is this a thing, right? And even if almost even if like ninety five percent of the time nothing happens or ever will happen. Because sometimes it does. Now, all of a sudden, everything becomes more interesting, even if all of those things are completely mechanically inert, so that you don't actually have to invest in making them do stuff. You just have to have them exist, which is a lot cheaper, right? So yeah, you can I actually w- get by with a lot. I will say, if it's the sort of game you want to, again, because the, the design is, is just very, it's very good and very fun. Um, however, they don't, it's not a game that has difficulty modulation baked in. But if you choose, like I tried playing as like a normal melee class, just like a warrior with a sword and shield game's mm-hmm. hard. The game's very hard, like very, very, very hard. Um, but then I played as a, as a magic user. So I think basically if you want to, I think if you want to just experience kind of the game without having to be so freaking good at it, um, then you need to play a mage. If you're sort of like, I basically sort of choose, choose your adventure, your difficulty level based on the class. You play a mage to have like the easiest way you can. You play kind of like a ranged, combo class to have intermediate difficulty and then you play just a straight up melee I think for like actual challenge mode on the thing which most people like I think don't understand that that's definitely what they did there and so yeah pick accordingly I guess if you want to just go experience how insane the world is then mage is definitely the the choice because it's so much easier I can't even describe it <laughs> yeah this is how I generally feel about games like Skyrim or whatever where it's like it once you can you know summon fireballs and make people fight their friends and whatever it's like clearly that's better than having to walk up to someone and stab yeah. them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, like there's no there's no comparison. You know, I'm just back here basically summoning like orbital nuclear strikes, yep. you know. Uh and I don't have to get my hands dirty at all. So yeah, yeah. Magic is always easy mode because yeah. it can do whatever you need it to do. But yeah, heavy recommendation. So, okay, for this. cool. So nailed it. Elden yep. Ring. Very cool game. Uh, so another little bit of studio news, uh, which is that uh, F- Favreau, which we have learned is actually pronounced Favreau. Um, yes. You know, but we're, we're just going to keep calling it Favreau because hard, like, hard, hard to unlearn, you know. So that, that's our um, sort of like workplace productivity software thingy. We replaced uh, our use of ClickUp with, with Favreau. Um, so uh, Favreau has a podcast called Learning from Leaders. And 
so one or some combination of us are going to be on their podcast talking about how we use it and stuff. That'll be on a Thursday, March 31st at 12 p.m. Central Time, and it will be recorded live. Yeah. So yeah. I think you'll be able to watch it in yeah. real time. Uh, so just earmark that date, and we'll have a link up um, somewhere. Uh, Probably at the podcast episode right before, because we'll have one coming out the Wednesday prior. Okay. So. So yeah. we'll, ha- we'll have a link on there, and then we'll probably drop it maybe like in our uh, Discord uh, server mm-hmm. as well, which is at uh, discord.gg slash bscotch. Um, so if you want to, you know, pop in, say hi, see what's going on, yeah. uh, hear us talk about- It'll be pretty quick. It's just a half it. hour, and it's actually, the topic will be more, less focused on the use of Favre, more actually on kind of the, actually the overall evolution of our studio from just kind of the three of us, you know, being idiots, but- making it work basically to now running a studio and being far more calm about also, it. Still being idiots. <laughs> still idiots, but in a different <laughs> Just um, less idiotic. But in a much larger capacity. <laughs> yeah, so I'd say it's, it's sort of going to be like a 30-minute uh, uh, like full summary history of the studio if you want to kind of check it out. Kind of yeah, it's the rate at which we can make idiotic decisions now is just... Oh, it's just astronomical. Yeah. And, the, and the scale yeah. of... The scale the scale of the oh. consequences are so much higher now. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, that's the dream, right? <laughs> be able to be able to like be dumb in bigger, wilder ways. Yep. Um, so, and then like, uh, last little bit of news is that GDC is coming. GDC is happening uh, starting March twenty first. We will not be there. We're still on, um, you know, pandemic hiatus mm-hmm. from large scale events. Decent chance that we'll resume going to GDC maybe next year. Um, <laughs> So we're kind of well. kind of mulling that over. Yeah, well, I think it's that us. combo of like at this point, uh, via like masking and the fact that we're all boosted and all that kind of stuff, and the kind of the state of the it world. Would be like, fine. It, but the problem though is that going to GDC, the going to it, and the staying in San Francisco, and the being in San Francisco around Moscone Center is collectively just a garbage tier experience. Just <laughs> bottom of the barrel. And so then you take that, like, because, yep. So, so you take that and, the, and like now the environment of like, now you have to, to get there and now you're worried about COVID and all this kind of stuff, right? Like the incentive to do it is so, it's like, it's so, you have to make yourself do it because, yeah. you know. It's a little fragile. So like, it's very fragile. Yeah, knock out a week of, uh, of good like production time and, um you know, and we always like one of the things that we get from GDC is actually just stepping away from the work for a while and just kind of hanging out with each other and just like yeah. zoom out big picture, uh, getting out of the weeds conversations. Um, and of course, you know, you can do that without, you know, all that other stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll have, you know, and that's something that we can do on purpose in a different way. But um, yeah, so, you know, yeah. we won't be there, but, you know, good luck to everybody going. And well, I'm curious to see. You know, if any big announcements or interesting things mm-hmm. happen there, uh, or if there's any new players in the market who are going to make an appearance and, mm-hmm. and buy out a floor of Moscone West or something. I'll <laughs> never forget when when Google bought all of the seating so that they could advertise Stadia. Yep. Man. I just wanted a table, Google, to be honest. My feet were tired and my mood was dampened. As a result, <laughs> uh, so anyways, so that's happening. Man, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Uh, all right. You guys ready for some questions? We're going to get on some listener questions. All right. Uh, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.bscotch.net. The highest upvoted question comes from 
Quantum Anomaly, uh, who says, recently you've been talking more about the B-Scotch values, especially how they fit uh, in your 2021 retrospective and beyond. Do you believe you still follow your core values? Are they brought up often or have any of them changed recently? Mm. I've do got them that? on my wall. Okay, good. I was gonna say, do we have that list handy? Because like, okay, there's 13 of them and I got to. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just, I'll go, I'll, I'll rattle them off quickly. And then if any of them seem, if it seems like any of them we've kind of like really deviated from, then, you know, okay. we'll talk about it. Or, or right. like really gone hard into, you know. Like, yeah. Mm, yeah. All right, here they are. Uh, number one, love the work. Number two, be humble. Number three, be considerate. Number four, maximize independence. Number five, highest leverage first. Number six, it's not about you. Seven, good is perfect. Eight, can we not? Nine, take the time to go fast. Uh, Ten, ask the right question. Eleven, always know why. Twelve, play the long game. And Thirteen, align thyself. My opinion is we've gone harder into all of them. Yeah. All of them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I think there's, there's, we've gotten more into like more of the the nuanced understanding of each one. And I think we've embraced them in a more, in a deeper, more meaningful way, especially the stuff around like the long-term focus. Right. Mm -hmm. But also anything related to kind of how we interact with each other and with the stuff that we're making. Um, Like it's really all gone deeper, but I think, I think so much that is because of the longer term view and the focus on, Loving the work, which isn't about like make yourself love it, right? It's about make it worth make the work lovable. Yeah, make the work lovable actually, and that and I think kind of that kind of centralizes sort of all of it. There's a reason it's the first one because it, it. I think that's how you align yourself. That's how you know what you're doing and why. It's how like it's that's the core. Thing yeah, if it's if you're having a bad time doing the work then that means that you probably haven't done you one know any of the other things and uh, can't. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'll say, I think two that really kind of stick out to me is this idea of like play the long game and, and highest leverage first, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, the, the thing that I'm, that, that all my days are going into right now is building this new tool, the game changer, which is, which is to allow us to add way more content to Crashlands 2 and then whatever our next game is as well. Um, and to do that in a much more secure way that we can add more more people to that pipeline uh, to make it so that we can make much more complex and intricate game systems at a much larger scale. But to do that, you know, we have to stop production for several months to build this tool, right? And uh, and the whole time we're working on this, you know, ideas come up like, oh, it'd be cool if we had this thing in the game. It'd be cool if we had this thing in the game. What about this, right? And the whole time we have to say, sure, maybe, but for now, we're making this tool. And it's because adding one new little piece of content to the game uh, is not high leverage. It's short-term focused compared to making something that would allow in- anybody on the team to put that thing in the game mm-hmm. and and do that in a way that's, that's super manageable um, and doesn't require a huge amount of technical knowledge, right? And so I think that we have... Like Adam was saying, we've gone much harder and deeper into some of these principles in a way that is just really like is blowing certain things out of the water um, and opening up a lot of new capabilities for us. So I think we're just we're understanding the principles better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I think it's it's also that there's always that difference between uh, the like your rational understanding of a thing 
and then your actions with respect to that thing, right? And especially because of the unlearning process plus the emotional uh, consequences of the ways of thinking that you currently have or the ways of thinking you're trying to adopt or whatever, right? Because you can't just look at a principle. You can't just say, one of my core principles is can we not, right? You can't, you you can have that, right? You You can say that, you can believe that it's true and you can believe that that's important. But when it comes to actually using it in everyday practice, it's a thing that has to become a fluency so that part of the way that you approach literally everything within your awareness is first of all, being aware of it, which is already very, very hard. And then second of all, part of the awareness of it includes questions and evaluations with respect to the can we not question, which is, you know, and the can we not question is uh, as a principle is hiding a whole bunch of, of context specific details and nuance because you can't just ask, oh, can we not do this? Like It's not as simple as that because in any given context, the shape of that question is going to be a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it requires this long-term development of a fluency in your awareness of the world around you and using these principles in a nuanced way as tools to reason about how to then act on the stuff you're aware of. Well, and they all, they all pull from each other too, right? Like yep. always, to me, always know why and ask the right question and can we not are sort of inextricably the same. tangled with yep. each other, right? Yep. Yeah, because if you're about to do something big, you're about to do something expensive, you know, you're about to set off on, you know, on a new project. Um, if you don't know why exactly you're doing it, if you don't know what the consequence, you know, of that thing is, if you, or if you're solving the wrong problem, then- can we not do this project? Yeah, we could probably not do this project because we're doing it for all the wrong reasons. Yep. Like we're misallocating our resources, right? Um, yeah, so so all of them really, I think we've also kind of learned that they're not distinct principles. They're just lenses yes. for mm-hmm. looking at the same deep understanding of the thing that you're doing, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, it's the idea uh, of coming at a problem from different angles, right? And that's how you get every different view you get on it gives you a better mental model of what the problem is and what it's what it's for. Uh, and if you can consciously evaluate the thing and look at it again along these kinds of known dimensions inside of which you've gained lots of fluency in like evaluating things, then now you just got all these different like just all these laser beams hitting the thing you're looking at, right? It actually reminds me of I think yeah. the um there's some of these visual art pieces where you they're like sculptural works where you look at it from a particular angle and it looks like a whole bird or something. Right. And then oh yeah! Every time I see one of those, I'm like, "How the fuck did that person yep. figure out how to?" Make and then that as you happen? step around it, you realize that it's actually like probably you know maybe 15 feet deep, and it's a bunch of various random objects, sort mm-hmm. of just like, hanging pieces. Yeah, arranged in such a way that when you look at it from a particular angle, then you see what it's supposed to be. And I think what's interesting about it, if you take that that like metaphorical idea uh, when it comes to seeing finished products, seeing other teams doing their work, whatever else, it's kind of the same thing, right? Where it's like you're seeing you're seeing it from a particular lens that that makes it look very complete and whole. And it's very hard in that particular view to actually pull out the parts. And so you have to take the sort of you have to kind of strafe to the side and then you realize that like, oh, that that view is is one of many that actually like doesn't really let you see how this is working. It shows you yeah, the final but also, product, right? It also works kind of as a cautionary tale, right? Because the idea the idea that if you look at something that you understand it, right? Because you're look you're you've got a clean mental model. You're you're like evaluating the thing, you've got a mental model of it. 
like similarly, if you just shift your view of that thing, that seems like you get it, right? That seems like if there's a model that's grokkable in your brain, just like, uh, you know, rotate your view by 10 degrees and you'll be like, wait a second. There's some other shit in there. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, put, throw, yeah. throw on some, uh, some UV detecting glasses, right? And like, mm-hmm. oh, there's just stuff in there I couldn't even see before, you know? Yeah. And, and to kind of take that metaphor even further, Sam, it, it also does kind of illustrate how connected things are. So mm-hmm. in, in the case of these kinds of art pieces, oftentimes they'll be kind of like hanging or suspended, mm-hmm. you know? And they actually aren't touching each other, and they look like totally distinct pieces. Yes. Right? So you, so you look at it from the front, it's like, oh, it looks like a bird. And from the side, it's like, oh, there's like a piece of garbage, and here's like a tricycle, and here's mm-hmm. like a, you know, a, a paddle from a boat. And like, these are all just distinct things, but uh, if you take one of them out, and then you go back and look at bird from the front, it doesn't look like a bird yep. at all now, right? Or if you know one piece so, of it, so it's like, like, you know what, I want to be, I need to be more uh, more important. I'm going to come closer to the front of this, you know, arrangement of stuff. And it's like, no, we're- doesn't work. You're, yeah, yeah. you're a distinct sort of piece of this, but it's about the interdependencies between the whole, everything. Yeah. 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 So they're, they are interconnected, but they, they visually look completely isolated from each other. Mm-hmm. You can't separate them out. Uh, and they do come together to make a complete picture, but and, and also any one of those things sort of loses its distinctness as that thing once it becomes part of the whole, right? Yes. So like, okay, there's like a tricycle in there. Um, and Not when yeah, you're like at from the bird, the, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from <laughs> yeah. the side, you can you can see that that's yeah. there, and you can point at it. But when you're looking at it from the front, every it's all one thing. And there is no tricycle anymore, right? And I think, you know, we've, uh, so we recently read um, Team Topologies, which is a really good sort of, a, it's like a, it's a dry text, but it's a mm-hmm. more advanced kind of DevOps It's concept. pretty abstract also. So like yeah. trying, a little, to, trying, to, trying to figure out what they mean by stuff is a little bit of an adventure. Yes, to like, yeah. absolutely. But the high level point of which is that the organizational shape of your team uh, and even the the shape that your tools create by virtue of however you are required to interact with them and wherever the outputs go are themselves factors in the possible solutions that you can come up with to solve a problem. The software that your team makes is directly dependent. It has, upon it has the same the shape, shape the as the teams that. Make yeah. Them. Which is, which is a weird one. It's a really weird thing. But I think again, when it comes to this idea of this, like when you look at it from a particular angle, like again, taking our studio and this idea of this kind of these visual art pieces, it's like people look at the final output that we have, which is like a game like Crashlands Two, right? Um, the reality is that that thing, the shape of that, the success of that, how good it looks, uh, and how impactful it is, is completely dependent upon the the entire arrangement of every single thing uh, that sort of precedes the ability to create that thing. So. The shape of the team, the size of the team, the way we use Discord instead of Slack, the fact that we use Favreau instead of ClickUp, like all these things have these impacts on that final product uh, in a really big yep. way. Yeah. And what the boundaries are, how communication crosses them, mm-hmm. how responsibilities cross them, all that. But the other piece of this too is that this is a fractal problem, right? Because here we've, we've made it concrete by saying like, oh, we could talk about like the studio. That's the, that's the thing that you see that is actually blasted into a jillion parts if you, you know shift the view, right? But- 
you know, we're, we're operating in the context of like, this is made up of individual people. We're operating mm-hmm. in the context of an industry and a certain moment in time. Right. And so you can actually zoom out and zoom in and you, you can imagine if like, if you're looking at this piece, right. And like you zoom in, like, actually, no, you can see the bicycle or at least part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. But now imagine you zoom in a little further and you can see past the bicycle at, Oh, wait a second. It wasn't a bicycle at all. It, it itself is made up of a whole bunch of things. Right? <laughs> ah, yeah. It's a yeah. Russian yeah. nesting doll of these visual. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think the, and the reason why like everything is hard, just everything life doing work, mm-hmm. thinking about things, right. Is because you never actually, you never have a clear picture period. Right. Yeah, You never get to do that. Zoom in, zoom out, and see yep. yeah. everything. At any given yeah. moment, you're like based on your your models of the world, you are looking at a fuzzy, you know, like through like goggles that are blurring your vision, right? You're looking at like a fuzzy something that you think you know what you're looking at, right? But if you were to zoom in or out and see the pieces it's made of or see what it is a piece of, right? Mm-hmm. That would still be a blurry picture to you as you like move in and out. And you don't know actually where you are. You don't know how you don't know how far out you can zoom. You don't know how far in you can zoom, right? You don't, and you just have this like fuzzy picture. Um, and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to understand the components that make up the thing that you're looking at, and you're trying to understand how you're looking at it because that's what defines what you see in that moment. Well, I think right? that's the thing is that, that that second part is the part that most people don't see early enough, which is the fact that mm-hmm. figuring out how it is that you're actually looking at something is the other half of the problem, typically. Okay, that's where all that's where all so, of the bias because that's the, that's what defines your model and your relationship with it, right? And that's yeah, where every kind of bias in the universe is a function of awareness of how you're looking at something. Yeah. So, so this is actually all right. So, there's this really cool thing. One of my favorite things that I've seen from video game lore actually has to do with this idea of of perspective. Okay. So, in the uh, Warcraft universe, they have different kinds of magic, right? There's like Elemental magic and void magic and whatever, right? And so at one point quite a while back, the Blizzard art team released a a map of how those – a visual layout of how those different sort of like types of magic uh, interact with each other and how they express themselves in the the world, right? Mm. So so it would be like – You'd see like life magic and death magic like totally opposite each other on this Mm. map – and then, like the the representation of death magic is like necromancy, right? And the representation of life magic is like healing and ho- holy stuff or whatever. So, uh, so everybody's like, "Oh, this is super cool," right? But then, uh, I think it was like a year ago or something, they released another book that was written from the perspective of this like being from this sort of alternate plane of existence. And this being had, in this book, had created a a visual map of the different kinds of magic and the different planes of existence and how they all express themselves. And this created a big, like, fit in the sort of like in the community of all the people who love the the lore of the games because it it didn't match. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, like, life and death are next to each other instead of being opposites, and there's all these weird things because like this, this being is an immortal, right? Who doesn't have the perspective of life and death being like as important. two opposite things yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're just two you know, things. They're just two kinds of things. They're just two things that happen. And when you die, you're still there. And it's not like you've, you know, become an opposite thing. <laughs> it's just different. Right. But as an um, entity that can experience, I guess, that can become dead, I guess, right? Yeah. Then 
now what that means to be there is what it's the it's your existence that turns those two properties into a spectrum with a relationship to each other, right? Yeah. And on top of that, there were like there were some things that were just totally missing from this map that were in the other map, right? So it looked like and so, it looked like they did just a bad job, basically. Like it just looked like they just forgot, happened. you know. But then then this this dude who is just like this hyper enthusiastic a uh, YouTuber who does all kinds of videos on Warcraft lore. He he made a 3D model of the original map and then he rotated it and found that actually they were both the same map. Uh, it's dope. just that it's just that one of them was from a different they're just from different perspectives where in mm. one of them things that looked like they were opposites are actually next to each other and in some of them like things are obscuring other things. He basically just represented each thing as like an orb in space, right. you know? And as you rotate it around, certain things look like they're related. Other times they look like they're opposites. Some things look like they're not there at all, you know? And like that kind of blew my mind because it is such a great representation of, of like w just how you look at things and how you experience the world um, just dramatically changes your understanding of what matters and what's connected, or even like what is even there, what even exists. Well, know? I think also, <laughs> I mean, this is fun because it encapsulates a lot of things in one story, right? Because people's response to it of being like, I don't like this. This is wrong, right? Yeah, there's two different maps here. <laughs> yeah. Like clearly, uh -huh. somebody missed something, and it's which is because you can see this with any facet of human diversity, right? It's the same deal where, like, people's response to it is often an insistence that it isn't real. Or yeah, because there has right. to be one. There's one. There's truth. only one. Tr there's only one way, you know, to, to yeah, which is which is like. It's it's correct to think that there's a certain set of like actual things that are actually happening, but to think that because you saw some kind of a map of it or whatever, that that's what you actually saw, that's the that's it's the fallacy. A, if you have a right? dedication to the map, not to the actual values stored in the map, yeah, yeah the idea that the problem. map is trying to convey. I mean the map because the map is a measurement, right? It's and it's the same idea all the time. I think this is this is a fun because this is something that, that in grad school we had to deal with all the time because we would like I remember hearing like going to school and like in physics they're always talking about all the dimensions like the curled up dimensions all this like weird shit, right? Where they talk about the <laughs> yeah. universe actually has eleven dimensions. Like I remember hearing this stuff, right, and being like, oh, that sounds so like profound and like incomprehensible and all this kind of stuff, right? And then I get into like grad school. I'm doing cell biology, and we're trying to we're trying to figure out what's going on. We're like, look at simple simplest system in the universe. Like you were talking about, like people and magic and right complex high level things. In our case, like we stripped it down to the smallest thing we could. It's like just some cells in a dish. Throw in one chemical in there, right? And of course, it's already way more complicated than that, actually. But like mm -hmm. that's as simple right. as we can make it, right? <laughs> and then yeah. we're trying to figure out what happened. What happened when we did that, mm -hmm. right? Well, the answer depends on what we look at. And that's, right, because, well, what can we measure? What can, what can we see? What can you see? What yeah. do we even know to think we should look at, right? And then can we? Do we have the technology you know, to do that, right? And so the, the end result would be that for so much of it, we just don't know, that we would say, okay, well, probably stuff is going to happen, so let's just like measure as much <laughs> as we can, right? Just measure whatever well, we can. Yeah, but you're already you've already made an assumption right out of the gate. That's that probably happen, stuff yeah. is going to happen. Well, like, and that and that like it's and that it's then that we can understand it and you know and so on and so forth. Right? But, yeah. But so so we have it. So basically, we, we take the tools at our disposal because that's all we have, right? So in, mm -hmm. in my case, microscopy and making things glow in the dark. Right. So make shit glow in the dark. Take pictures of it under a microscope. So now we have 
Now we can see it. We can look at it. Like with the tools that we have, got a whole bunch of pictures now. We can see something. We can see, oh, we can see, (laughs) we can see what we put in there, right? Oh, yeah. Because we see, we're now, we're now already behind layers of proxies, right? Yeah. You can see what's glowing. You can see. We're seeing the glowing thing, not the actual thing that we did, right? Yeah. The thing underneath it. And that's through a microscope also, right? Which in itself just converts it. Which creates a 2D, a 2D way of viewing an actually three-dimensional well, four-dimensional because right. it's also taking place over time. So it's a snapshot right, right. in that space, right? right? So already in this like supposedly simple system, you can see where every single bias has crept in, right? Because we can only measure the things we guess that we think we should mm-hmm. with tools that we have that exist, which and those two things inform each other, right? And so, yep. and then everything is already a proxy now. And then in order for us to understand it at all, we have to convert all of that into our now multi-dimensional data, which a dimension. Just a thing you can measure. That's the whole thing, right? So it's like X coordinate, Y coordinate, how bright it is, what color it is. There's there's your four dimensions or whatever, right? Add time and you know, you can do all this kind of stuff. And so we just like we just start converting that those pictures into just series of numbers, each one for one dimension, right? And then we ask, okay, which of these changed, right? Which which ones of these are the ones that like moved around? Well, there's a, there's in some cases, we had like 30 of them. It's a 30-dimensional thing. We're talking about trying to view things in 3D is already hard, right? You can't, di- you can't view it. So the way that you view it <laughs> is you do exactly what we're describing here, where you you try to compress the dimensionality down by combining them together, which is basically you rotating, right? You're well, rotating yeah. it, and you're looking at it in a compressed view, so you can try to understand the relationship between any two things, right? But that relationship actually exists in 30-dimensional space, right? And we boil it down to two-dimensional space. And also, so you can holy put it shit. on a graph. Yeah, it's yeah. two dimensions. Right. And then we say, holy <laughs> shit, those things are right next to each other. Like these are these are related, they're the same thing, right? It's like, okay, well, they're related to each other in this imaginary compressed mm-hmm. yeah. two-dimensional space created by a rotation of a 30-dimensional space, which already yeah, you, yeah, was you a can't tiny even measurement. Say, you can't because like in 3D, you can imagine like, oh, this thing is in front of that thing, so I can't see it, right? Yep. Right. But like in 30 dimensions, there is no concept of behind. <laughs> you got no. too many dimensions at that point. <laughs> right. The thing is, it's, it's like, always because the, 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 the question is always along. It's already ruined. Yeah. Because yeah. the, the question is always along what dimension. Right. Because like, yeah. Things, something being behind something is that like, in, if you just projected a line, that's the dimension that you're talking about. And mm-hmm. you're on, you're like, you're on this spectrum, right? It's you, then mm-hmm. the thing that's blocking your vision, and then the other thing is yep. on the far side of the line, right? That's all that it means for something to be behind something. That's all it means for something to be different or the same, right? Is that can only ever be true along, a, you can only state it along a very specific dimension. And that dimension yeah. is completely defined by your, by how broadly aware of the kinds of things that can be different. Are, right? yeah, so, so this, this is why to kind of like oh yeah good yeah I was gonna say to kind of bring it to bring it down to you know, game dev level again um, yeah the reason why it's so useful to have a handful of people who are experts in very different things start with a core thing that you're trying to do basically what's this okay here's this shape of this bird we're trying to make and then you talk to everybody on the team who has a potential angle on this thing right until you get this this shape from a particular, again, from a particular viewing angle, you manage to actually create this shape. And I think ideally it's the sort of thing where like when you, when you get your, when you have enough of these experts in the room, whatever else, like people who just 
we are able to cross-functionally show other dimensions of a particular problem. Then you're able to create a more cohesive image in the first place, but then also one that is more robust as, so it's not like so fragile that there's like a degree in which it works, right? And then otherwise it just sort of falls apart. But it's rather, a better reflection of what you're trying to, exactly. to make. Because it's like you can, you can end up with the same lower dimensional result with completely different yes. higher dimensional data, right? Because the process is a conversion, it's a loss, right? And you can create that from any kind of a source that you want if you're creative enough, right? Mm -hmm. And so the more the more like robust and comprehensive the stuff coming in is, then the less fragile actually that result is. It's not as dependent on like this one thing being correct, right? Um, there's a lot more that can change a little bit and have it not actually matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you if you had some additional stuff mixed in there behind that bird that actually was already like being obscured by a bunch of other stuff anyway, eh, if that stuff isn't in there, it doesn't matter. The whole thing's a it's a it's a projection, it's right? A projection, yep. Yeah, and and this that just kind of then like bring it into more of a yeah, cap it off of a, of a principle, right? This is just something to always be aware of. And this is where I think like the be humble mm -hmm. principle stands out, which is the idea that, that you don't know anything. Yeah. Right. Like you, you don't you, get to dictate the truth and your, your belief in what you think is true is cannot be correct. Yeah. And if you also, if you, if you, what is it, you know, buy into your own hype, I guess would be mm -hmm. the expression. Then, then you end up with these very unusually rigid viewpoints and you become unable to to rotate your perspective, mm -hmm. to see things from a different angle. And this is something where like- Your dimensionality is low, you know? Yeah. Like it, it blew my mind when we were working on Levelhead and we got the suggestion to put the levels on the blockchain. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> that's the kind of suggestion that can only happen from someone who has locked into a perspective and doesn't understand doesn't understand the relationship of something like the blockchain to this other stuff that, that we were trying to do. Right. Um, and like, of course we also don't understand the blockchain. Well, as you say, I think the reality is that <laughs> you, you, know, have, you have to actually still work through and entertain the idea. Once yeah. You can still explore it. Cause that's another dimension. Yeah, someone says, yeah. Hey, you should put it yeah. in the blockchain and be like, why would someone tell me that if I think this is yeah. so dumb? The problem is that if your extent of your dimensionality is just about the blockchain, so yeah, that you then look at other things and you don't uh, understand everything is about the blockchain. Yeah, yeah. everything is yeah. crypto. Everything is NFTs. Or, you know, yeah, and and you end up you end up with this sort of evangelist um, mindset, right? Which is that sometimes people will will buy into one of these things to the point where they can't understand the world without first filtering it through the <laughs> lens of this yeah. this thing, right? Like. Oh, I'm well, really, that's, really I mean, into that's crypto, always true, right? And you, now, you can't, like, the whole that's the whole idea, though, is you can't. The way that you understand the world is by is measuring it lenses. with all of the yeah. with all the dimensions that you're aware of, right? Like that's how, yeah. and you make a projection. That's how that's how it works. And so, whichever one, and then we have bias that creeps in there, right? So, whatever the the variables are there, whatever the dimensions are that you that to you are the most important, which for like a crypto enthusiast, right? Is in that moment crypto? Then that that they suddenly boost the scores on those when they're now compressing all the data down, right? And yeah. So now all of a sudden everything goes there, but that's that's how all of us do everything, right? That's how. Yep. It's whatever your values are. Like your values are basically just how much weight you put on some arbitrary dimensions that you've chosen, right? And yep. that completely shapes 
literally how you understand and see the world just com- just completely shapes it. And so the more honed in those are and the more bias you've let creep in there without exploring it and knowing why you've allowed that to creep in there, um, then the more disconnected your entire understanding of the world is going to be from somebody who has a broader perspective. Yeah, because right? yeah, what happens then is that that thing that matters to you, it has grown in size and gotten closer to you to the point where it's obscuring your ability to see other things. That's all you can see. And if you never <laughs> step away, if you never step to the side, right? If you never try to to well, understand yeah. other perspectives, then you can't, you, you yeah. lose stuff. You what, can't see anything. It's a, it's a simple question. What are you committed to? Are you committed to the blockchain or are you committed to the creation of value? Very simple. Yeah. So, some kind of, yeah. Un, what's the underlying principle? What's the real Exactly. Because if, if it's about the value creation, not everything turns out to be very good for blockchain, right? It's very relatively straightforward to see that. With, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. This is a long and deep belief system, right? Because a belief system is- all, what a belief system is is the is a collection of dimensions to which you have put weight. That's what it is, right? And so, definitionally, because the dimension, the thing that you're measuring isn't the thing, right? It's you can only see the measurement. You don't get to see the thing. Like it's not part, right? So, so then whatever wherever you put all of the weight, the more and more weight you put there, the more and more all you actually are seeing is the the dimension itself, not even the underlying data, right? Yes. You're just seeing that. And you think that that's the important thing when the whole point of having that in the first place was to understand what's behind it. Yeah. Again, the map is not the world. It's a map. Yeah. The world's just sitting it's there minding its own business. Forget, you know? Yeah. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> Don't commit. Don't commit to the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, try to under, yeah. Try to understand the world. Well, I think that's, that's probably a good, good spot well. to leave it. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for the question. It, it went somewhere, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. We'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster, for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, you can just go to podcast.bscotch.net. We have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.